0: To beyond BIM. Today's episode is a look into the future state of BIM in 2021 and beyond. This is a practitioner's perspective. I had the pleasure of getting Vicky Reynolds to join me and share her thoughts and projections on the ever-changing landscape of the built environment. Vicky is the Chief Technology Officer for i3PT and a UK BIM Alliance ambassador. She is perhaps best known for her work as an active member of the digital construction community, both locally and globally, sitting as the Global Vice Chair for Women in BIM, as a member of the CIOB's Special Interest Group for Digital, and the IET's Built Environment Panel. Vicky works hard to promote STEM and construction to women and girls, and in today's discussion, she reminds us, as women, to stay true to ourselves in the construction industry. Like myself, she is also a podcast host. You may have heard of it. It's called the Digital Twin Fan Club. So naturally, I was keen to know more about her views on BIM and beyond. And now let's hear more from Vicky directly on the future state of BIM, the Digital Twin Fan Club, and women in BIM. Vicky for joining me today. Now, you already given your outlook in BIM Plus on this topic as well, but I'm keen to share it with my listeners as well and to take your ideas and your look into the future. So in particular, what are your thoughts on the state of BIM for 2021? And could you also talk a little bit more about any technologies that you think will push us beyond BIM?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, in terms of the state of BIM as we exist right now, we're on what you might call a burning platform. It's um, jump or be engulfed, really. Uh, We've had so many scenarios um, in the past couple of years where actually better information management would have provided a a different and a better outcome. And we can see that now Uh, so As an example, um, the the horrific Grenfell disaster, where 72 people lost their lives, a lot of the um, issues there were, yes, bad, faulty material, but then also there was no clear chain of responsibility, information wasn't managed appropriately, people didn't identify issues and problems because data and information wasn't searchable it wasn't accessible Um, and we recognize that because we have some great examples of good practice now where uh, BIM and good information management has been done and we can see that comparison and so we're in a really good strong position to just climb up the rest of the hill um, over the next couple of years and I think it will align really beautifully with some of the um, new mandates and legislation that we'll start to see coming in around building safety, fire safety, um, the, the requirement for a digital golden thread of information on high risk buildings that will force us almost, force our hand, make us digitalize a, a little bit more. And then as we start to see benefits um, from those industry front runners having things like digital twins um, smart technology we will really start to see that gap between those who um, embrace and those who don't and it won't be viable anymore to be a laggard for want of a better word Um, and I think we're in a great position but it really depends exactly where you are in the industry at the moment as to what kind of view you're getting. You can speak to one person and, and they think it hasn't taken off at all. You can speak to somebody else who is delivering BIM on every single project, seeing fantastic new technology on their projects and then and living that day-to-day and, and they'll have a very different story. So yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting place to work.
0: You mentioned digital twins there as well. So with that obviously transition from BIM to digital twin. What are some of the technologies that you foresee will become critical for those that do want to go a little bit beyond what they've been doing in 2020?
1: In terms of the technologies, it really is going to be around automating some of those laborious, um, maybe even some of the tasks that don't fall naturally to the human brain. where you see on-site or off-site in the office, those repetitive tasks that we struggle to maintain as human beings, um, that's where we'll start to see new technology, smart machines, um, will come in to to fill that gap, and that is part of the natural progression towards uh, a, an environment where you have a digital twin and an and an actual entity. Um, It's it's very difficult to predict to predict which technologies will be coming because I think there are so many different types of construction out there and there are so many different elements to the built environment that um, some areas will see movement with different types of technology at a different time. We're almost um a whole handful of ecosystems within one major under one major banner. but from a health and pe- a health and safety perspective, um, we'll start to see more of things like smart cameras that can identify someone on site without a hard hat, Um, biometrics so you can see how many people have entered a site um, and and check that the people are who they say they are as well for security reasons. Um, And most importantly, that they have all got out safely if there was something like a fire or an issue. Um, We're getting to a point where that kind of understanding is non-negotiable people won't come and work on a site where they don't feel safe and um, clients won't fund contractors and they won't want their projects to run in a way that aren't safe because we've very recently seen the repercussions of that. Um, But equally, if you're you're on a very different type of project, it will be things like bricklaying machines, robots with laser scanners on their head. I mean, if you haven't seen Spot, the robot, um google it spot the construction robot he's very cute um or she's very cute and um but there are then so many bolt-ons to that technology that can make it more and more useful i think as soon as we've stepped over that doorway um it's just going to be a mad dive forward and and we'll see a year two years of just mass technology adoption i mean that sounds fantastic and we actually
0: did a recent episode with uh, Brian from Boston Dynamics. And he told us a little bit more about Spot. And it is very exciting to um, see all of the new technologies that maybe started out in research a couple of years ago, and now they're being commercialized and put into practice. So yeah, there's lots to look forward to um, in the upcoming year. But um, Vicky, you're also a podcaster like myself. So you are also the co-host of another really exciting podcast called the Digital Twin Fan Club. Now, how did that all start?
1: And what is the mission of that podcast? It all started from my perspective, from a level of frustration. um, I was going to events and talking to people and I started to hear this buzzword get thrown around all over the place um, and often just in a completely incorrect way. Um, And so people were talking about digital twins as if they were just uh, an evolution of, of BIM. So BIM with a bit more detail Bang! There you go. You've got a digital twin, and that's not—that's absolutely not what it is. It's a—it's a two-way communicative relationship between the physical and the virtual, where one affects the other and vice versa. Um, and it's a really hard concept to um, to appreciate until you've sort of seen one in example, or um, you—it it takes a lot of discussion to grasp. Um, exactly how that might work, and I was getting very frustrated with misinformation being thrown around and people saying that they had a twin or that their their technology could give you a twin. Which you know you can't buy a digital twin off the shelf. It's not a bit of software. It's not a bit of technology. Um, and I was having that conversation um, with a, a friend of mine. Um, who uh, Jonathan Monkley, uh, who then sort of went away and came back and said, you know what? I've had this same conversation with three other guys who I think want to do some work on how we communicate, how we spread the message of what this really is. And um, maybe just be a place that people can come and hear honest information um, not sponsored or funded by anybody uh, and have conversations about the realities of fast moving technology in an environment like the built environment um, with with problems with culture and issues with a technology adoption um, and the next thing I know so I said okay that's that's fine I'll probably be coming on board as the as the naysayer you know the boring one who who um who tells everybody else that it's not going to be possible um and he said well well, let's, let's kick off anyway and see where we go. Um, and we very quickly, podcasts are one part of what we do. We also host events and so many things that we wanted to do were put on hold in 2020 because, you know, pandemic. Um, but uh, our whole mission is just bringing people into the conversation and being a really friendly, understandable resource for people to come and hear about things that... Um, that may affect them, but most importantly, definitely will interest them.
0: That's fantastic. I mean, that's the that's the great uh, gift of podcasts that they are so easily digestible for people and listeners. And it's a great medium to learn new concepts, new ideas, and maybe uh, get rid of any misconceptions, especially around Digital twins. So, on top of all of that, in addition to your day job and the podcast, you're also a prominent voice of a successful industry group called Women in BIM, where you're the global vice chair, if I'm not mistaken. Now, can you maybe perhaps also elaborate on this? Working group's mission, and also what we could look forward to in 2021 from Women in BIM.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, um, Women in BIM started probably about seven or eight years ago. Um, our wonderful chair, Rebecca Dechico, um, and some other really fantastic and strong women from the digital construction and BIM environment were um, were meeting socially, really as um, in an effort to to give each other support, provide advice. Um, it's There are so few of us in the industry um, and it can sometimes be difficult to go somewhere for advice or to look for advice when you know that you're already in a minority and you're concerned maybe about showing a weakness or a, a lack of understanding. And it just, women in BIM became that, that place where women could go to talk about what was happening in, in the environment, to support each other, to help build skills, share stories and ideas. Um, and then most importantly, it became a place to um, figure out how to attract more women in, to how to promote BIM construction, digital construction to, to girls, to young girls, um, and then retain once they enter the industry because there's a massive dropout rate for women um it tends to be around the age where they might start having children um a lot of women leave the industry for what they think might be short term and then just don't come back and sometimes it's because they don't want to sometimes it's because they're not welcome and um so a big part of what we try to do is um, support that process as well and support women in promoting themselves um, and promoting each other across the built environment. So we, we started very small, but we're now, um, Over 650 members globally. We're in over 30 countries. Um, We have a a core team in the UK. There's myself and Rebecca, um, uh, Gagana, Katia, and Jenny, who are our core team. And we have focuses on things like education specifically. We have a mentoring program. um, And we have lots and lots of resources that our members share. Some of them are very technical. Um, and some of the resources are more around um, dealing with scenarios that our members see quite often and, and that they go through quite often. Um, it might be specific to leaving the industry for, um, for childcare reasons. It, it might be um, uh, bullying in the workplace. It might be anything to do with um, a scenario that, that makes you think, do I, do I belong here? And so we 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 collect all of those resources, we share them, we make them available. We're we're branching out now this year, which is very exciting, into some other languages. Um, and so Spanish is our first um, branch out, and hopefully looking at maybe maybe French after that. Uh, and essentially, we just want to grow our network, grow the visibility of women in the built environment and specifically in digital construction and encourage girls into STEM.
0: That's fantastic. I think what you guys have started and created so far is really inspirational. And so many of us have come across women in BIM. And I myself have seen how the group has grown into a much more impactful and larger working group. So it's really great to hear that you guys are continuing on with the full swing.
1: Yeah, it's it's been really great, actually, as well, um, because we've never just been a group for women. We are women in BIM. We support women. Um, but the amount of allies that we've had, male allies um, who uh, who approach us and say, how can I help? How can I spread the word? How can I um, change something within my organization to make it uh, uh a more welcoming place for women? Or what can I learn from you? And that's really, really fantastic as well. We are not a group for women. We are a group about women.
0: Mm -hmm. Brilliant. I think um, my final question is more about inspiring, but again, perhaps offering a bit of inspiration also for, as you mentioned, female engineers or technicians, because so many of us might feel insecure about making our voices heard, and I particularly also suffered from this uh, feeling before as well, that not having the right level of confidence to promote oneself or promote your ideas. What type of advice would you give to women, especially when trying to make their voices heard?
1: This is a really difficult question because every woman is different and there's no such thing as global advice. So um, it's about finding who you are, where you're comfortable, um, and just being consistent and clear in your messaging. One one thing that I think is universally useful is being comfortable with failing. Um, As women particularly, there is this need to always prove ourselves and that's perpetuated within the industry that we work in as well you you know there are certain ways that we are communicated with that will that make it quite obvious that we have to be the best in the room otherwise we'll be disregarded in some instances Um, and that makes it even harder for us to accept failure within ourselves but the fact of the matter is nobody is perfect if you're perfect then you know, we need to start cloning you. you. You're not like anybody else in the in the whole in the whole world, um, and it's it's more about how you make the mistakes, not how often you make the mistakes. And the, some of the strongest people I've known have been the ones that accept a problem, learn from it very quickly, and let it go. And it's the learning from it that's the important part, because that's when you realize, okay, this was a whether it's your work environment and it's something technical and you've made a mistake and you think, you know what? I can't make that mistake again. Now, when I deliver my my next project, I'll deliver it with a a different set of eyes, uh, with a fresh set of eyes and, and better decisions. Or whether it's I was in a social situation and this happened and this was my response and I did not get at the outcome that I was expecting. Um, the only thing that you can ever control is your own behavior. And part of that is a huge part of that is learning and letting go. So that would be my advice. Learn, let go, be consistent and be, be comfortable. Um, and, and personally as well, I, uh, went through quite a few years of, um, pretending to be a man. So you know, go into the go into meetings and talk loudly and be brash and wear mm. shirts and trousers, mm. um, and that's fine if it's who you are. But as I've grown and I've got more comfortable in my environment, I realise it's not actually who I am. One, one, at weekends I I like you know I dress in floaty dresses. I, I like to be feminine. I like that side of myself. And I feel now as a more senior woman in the industry, it's important, it's very important that I bring that side of myself to work because that is visibility. And that is, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And there's no point in us having lots of executive level women who Mm all look, dress and act like men. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be my, my additional advice. You know, once you, Once you're comfortable, figure out who you are and figure out how much of yourself you can bring to work because that might be the thing that inspires somebody younger than you who isn't there yet, inspires them to bring themselves to work and to feel more comfortable and to feel more accepted.
0: And finally, a heartfelt thank you to all of our followers who have been with us so far. If you enjoyed this episode, then please follow us on LinkedIn or YouTube. And better yet, share this episode with your friends and colleagues.